Julie Ryan, noted psychic and medical intuitive, is ready to answer your personal questions, even those you never knew you could ask. For more than 25 years, as she developed and refined her intuitive skills, Julie used her knowledge as a successful inventor and businesswoman to help others. Now, she wants to help you to grow, heal, and get the answers you've been longing to hear. Do you have a question for someone who's transitioned? Do you have a medical issue? What about your pet's health or behavior? Perhaps you have a loved one who's close to death and you'd like to know what's happening. Are you on the path to fulfill your life's purpose? No matter where you are in the world, take a journey to the other side and ask Julie Ryan. Hi, everybody. This week, we've got Shelly Lefko on the show. And you guys are going to love her because she helps people eliminate beliefs that are holding them back, either in their lives in general, in their business, in their monetary situations, whatever. And she helps people eliminate those beliefs and helps them live a life of joy. I am a huge fan of her work and I'm excited to bring her to all of you so you can become fans as well. Remember to like and subscribe, leave a comment, share this with all your friends and family so that this information can get out there because it's gonna benefit everybody. And let's go ahead and start the conversation with Shelly Lefko. Hi, Shelly. Thanks so much for being on the show with us today. Hi, Julie. Thanks for having me. You bet. Let's go ahead and get right into this. You say our beliefs determine our behavior, not events. What do you mean by that? Well... 10 people can experience the same thing and have completely different lives and completely different behavior. Um, so it's never the behavior, it's never the event, it's never what happens to you that, um, and I'm uh, becoming a little well-known for saying this, it's not what happens to you that screws you up. It's what you conclude about what happens to you that screws you up. And I don't mean screws you up like you're screwed up, but that messes with us, that causes problems in our lives. So, you know, my favorite population of people to work with are people who've been sexually abused because what, you know, if if that happened and they went, oh my God, that was awful. Thank God that's not happening anymore. They would have wonderful lives. But that's not what happens. And what happens is we conclude things like I'm damaged goods or I'm powerless or I'm worthless. And boy, we really did just get into this. (laughs) I don't usually open with that. Um, But whether it's business or relationships or whatever, uh, wherever you find yourself stuck, it's the beliefs that you have that are causing the issues, not your boss, not the circumstances. Um, And when you get rid of the beliefs, then the circumstance is different. Either it changes or how you hold it is different. What in your, what's your definition for what is a belief, number one, and where do they originate? Where do they come from? So a belief is a statement about reality that we hold as the truth. So it's not like maybe sometimes wishy-washy, 
when, when you hear yourself say that is the truth, that's a belief. That's what I mean by a belief. It's a statement about reality that we hold as the truth. It's like being pregnant. You either is or you ain't, right? So <clears throat> where our beliefs come from is we're born as these little balls of consciousness and we come into this world and we don't know if we're good enough or not. We don't know if we're important or not. We don't know if life is hard or easy. We don't know if men are safe or dangerous. We don't know if money is scarce and hard to get or it's abundant. And we come into this little world called our family. And what I have said more times than I care to think about, um, every child alive wants three things. And if any of you listening have young children, think about what happens when you come home at the end of the day. What does your child do when they see you? And every client in the world, I have clients in Saudi Arabia, truly. And they say the same thing. They run to me. And I say, what do they want? And they want three things. They want affection, attention, and acknowledgement. Now, what's the one word question every little child asks all day long? I don't know. What is it? So... Everybody listening, you will know the answer. So if you tell a child, no, you can't, what do they want to know? Why not? Why? 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 Right? Mm -hmm. So why is the sky blue? Why do you have to go to work? Why do I have to go to school? Why can't I have dessert? Why can't I have a friend over? Why can't I play with my iPad all day long? So if a child comes into the world and they're criticized a lot, they're going to say, why can't I live up to my parents' expectations? Oh, I guess I'm not good enough. Why am I not getting attention? Why is mommy looking at her iPhone while she's talking to me? Well, I guess I'm not important. Or what I have to say is not important. Why are mommy and mommy or daddy and daddy or my, whatever your configuration of family was, why are they struggling? Why can't they pay the bills? Why are they always scared? Well, I guess money is scarce and hard to get. I guess money is a struggle. I guess life is hard. Why are they fighting all the time? Well, I guess relationships don't work. And this is how our beliefs get formed. And they stay with us throughout 15 years of therapy and 10 personal growth workshops because we think we actually see our beliefs in the world. So it is impossible to not believe something you think you saw. I saw Santa Claus. He's got a red suit and a white beard and he brings me presents on Christmas and don't, what do you mean there's no Santa Claus? I saw that there was. And for eight years, you believe that. And then one day you either see your dad in in the suit and you realize it's your dad, like my niece did. And she, she started, she was, she hated Santa Claus. She used to cry hysterically when he came in. And one year he comes in and she goes, 
Daddy, Daddy, Santa Claus? <laughs> like, you know, and the belief in Santa Claus goes away and never comes back. So we think that we see I'm not good enough. I say to clients every day of my life, uh, did you ever see I'm not good enough? And I've had Harvard PhDs said, yes, I saw I'm stupid. And what you can see is a parent, dimin can't see diminishing. So you could see a parent saying you're stupid or what's wrong with you or you don't think. You can see C's and D's. You can see F's. You can see not being able to do something the way your parents want it done. You could see getting criticized, sent to your room, but you can't see I'm not good enough. So once we discover the beliefs underlying the pattern, we have a methodology that can eliminate them, but they are the source of all suffering. Wow, profound. Let's unpack that a little bit. Okay. I've read that most beliefs are formed by the age of about seven. Is that what you find? And do they primarily come from parents, families, teachers, the media? Obviously, we're forming beliefs as we become adults about a multitude of things. But the primary basic things, I would imagine, are formed in early childhood. Yeah. Tell us about so, that. Yeah. Thanks, Julie. Uh, great questions, by the way, really. Um, Self-esteem beliefs are formed generally by eight years old. Now, if you have an eight-year-old or older, I'm going to teach you before we get off how to help your kids get rid of beliefs or keep them from forming them. Um, I have a parenting course that when I started realizing that most of our beliefs do come from our parents. Um, uh, and, and that has lots of great information. So beliefs come from every place, mostly our families, because our parents are the single most important things in our lives. And if they are not affectionate, we must not be lovable. And it doesn't matter who else is affectionate. It's like, yeah, but my mother doesn't love me, in quotes, for those of you who are listening, not watching me. Um, school is a culprit. Um, culture is a culprit. I used to have a list of Catholic beliefs, you know, um, <laughs> about money, about sex, about being happy about ease in life. Um, first relationships, business, first job can have you form beliefs. Um, so it depends uh, on the beliefs. However, comma, <laughs> having said that, I do want to say that it is unlikely that if you have, which is why I'm so um, uh, fanatic about parenting, if you have, if you come from a home that is loving and validating 
and supportive. And I don't mean good job, good job. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about treating children with dignity and respect, honoring failure, you know, teaching them that every failure is a learning opportunity, um, allowing them the luxury of making mistakes, giving them power so they don't have to go to bed at seven o'clock. What if we negotiate and they get to win? Because children who feel powerful don't need to test the universe to see if they have power. They just feel powerful. But if you're constantly saying, because I said so, or you're going to do it no matter what, they're going to have to keep saying, well, do I have power here? Do I have power here? What if I hit this kid? Do I have power there? So there's, you know, Julie, you need training to drive a truck, but anybody can have a child. <laughs> so I think that's insane. But if you came from a family that was conscious and validating and loving and supportive, and your boss looked at you cockeyed or your teacher said you're an idiot, you're not going to form a belief. It's unlikely that you will form a belief, I'm not good enough. Because for six years, you were in an environment where you saw that you were. And that's why self-esteem beliefs, I'm not good enough, I'm not important, I'm not capable, I don't matter, um, uh, I'm inadequate. All of those beliefs are formed in the first six to eight years, um, for the most part. And then... What are three things that parents can do with their young children before they get to that cutoff point of six to eight that will help empower them to have self-esteem? Are there three easy things that everybody oh, can do with their parents? Absolutely. So get rid of four words, good, bad, right, wrong. Describe what you see, what you need, what you want. So use I messages. I would appreciate it if you wouldn't speak to me that way. It doesn't, I don't feel good when I'm spoken to that way. So never say you are. Even you are smart. Because then they conclude what makes I have to be smart to be loved. Or what makes me good enough is being smart. And that's how our survival strategy beliefs get formed. I loved watching you do that. You looked like you really were thinking and, you know, you put so much effort into the, into that. Then they say, wow, I'm smarter. I'm a good artist. And they acknowledge themselves. So don't praise, acknowledge, use I and acknowledge for effort as um, uh, Dweck, Carol Dweck says of Harvard. Um, use I messages, not you. You are What's wrong with you? Don't use that word. Just, you know, I would appreciate it if you didn't do that or did do that. Um, describe rather than judge. Um, and the most important thing, so the culmination of my old nine-hour workshop, parenting workshop one day was... <clears throat> When your child walks away from you, stop and ask yourself, what did they likely just conclude 
out of that interaction? And is that a belief I want them to have for the rest of their lives? Wow. And the, other, and the last thing I'll tell you about parenting, because I'm so ecstatic that I get to talk about it. Um, I just wrote a book um, that's about entrepreneurship and beliefs. So I've been talking a lot about business. <laughs> so this is thrilling for me. The other thing that's very important, Julie, and everyone listening, is three words. At what cost must you have your way? So if you're going to force your kid to do something and they conclude I'm powerless, is it worth it? You know, I've told the story about my, I'm a brushing, flossing Nazi because I didn't. And I spent probably $100,000 more now on my mouth. So when my kids were little, it was like, you're going to brush and you're going to floss. And I would play all the games Let's march into the bathroom. Let's soar like a plane into the bathroom. Do you want to do spins into the bathroom, marching bands? So I finally get my little one who was Miss, I don't want to, anything, into the bathroom. And she just wouldn't brush her teeth. And I had my toothbrush, her toothbrush in my hand. And at some point, I tried everything. And I'm just ready to shove it into her mouth. And this little voice in my head said, at what cost? And this is with anything in life. It's not just parenting. At what cost must I have it my way? Who am I diminishing? Who is feeling powerless? What am I losing by not giving a little room for something different? So I put the toothbrush down. I looked at her and I said, I am not going to force you to brush your teeth. I said, which makes me really sad because if you don't brush your teeth, you're going to lose your teeth and then you're going to start talking like this and you're going to really sound very funny when you talk like And of course, she started to laugh. Then I did what has become my great teaching. Get to the source. Don't force. Brit. What is it about brushing your teeth that you hate? The toothbrush hurts my gums, mommy, and I don't like the taste of it. Bam! We get a soft toothbrush, we change toothpastes. <laughs> That's it. You know, I had a client whose kid didn't want to go to school, and she found out that the kid was being bullied. You know, and, and uh, here's the final thing. Don't ask why, ever. Why is meaning? Meaning is made up. That's a, another conversation. Ask what? What don't you like about broccoli? What is it about that child that you don't like? What happens when you're with them? What happens at school that makes you not like it? Why don't you like school? I don't know. It's a way better question. Do you find that they answer when you ask what it is that they don't like? It's way more totally. forthcoming. Interesting. Huh. You mentioned describe, don't judge. Talk a little bit about that. What do you mean by that? So on whether it's positive or negative. So if I say to you, 
Julie, you're such a good cook. That's nice. But if I say to you, Julie, the way that you put flavors together and spices makes your food so tasty. Which one you like better? Yeah. Feel like you're glowing on the second one. Yeah. You painted that. It's so beautiful. Well, that's mommy just telling me that over, you know, as opposed to the colors that you use make me feel warm when I look at it. Now the kid goes, I'm efficacious. I actually made something happen in the world. Wow, I have an impact. That's the part. Now here's the negative. Oh, you never close the cabinet or the refrigerator door. As opposed to describe or give information. When you leave the refrigerator door open, the food can spoil. That's describing. When my son was little, I I don't know where I read this or where I heard it. He's 31 now, but I remember what I read was don't tell them no or don't because little children don't hear that in their head. They hear touch the fire, don't, instead of don't touch the fire, don't touch the burner on the stove. And and what this person uh, that I was reading was basically trying to communicate was tell them what you want them to do. Stay away from the burner. Stay away from the fireplace instead of don't go near the fireplace. Have you found that to be the case that we just, is that just little kids or is that adults too that we just don't hear no or don't? Yeah, I don't know, but I'll tell you what I do know. I take it one step further. Give information. Mm -hmm. So you can say to a child, don't go near the stove. Or you could say to a child, I don't want you near the stove. Or you could say to a child, the stove is hot and you can get burned. That hurts. Eating... I don't want you to eat that. Don't eat before dinner. You know, we're always telling kids what to do as opposed to eating empty calories is going to make you full and then you're not going to eat your nutritious dinner. Guess what? Your body is the body that's going to take you for the rest of your life. So you have to take good care of it so that it will run and jump and play when you're older. Give information. When you leave wet towels on the floor, it they'll smell and get mildewy. Use humor. Uh, Faber and Maislish used to say, "Wet towels on uh, wet towels on the bed make me." I don't remember some rhyme. but use humor, you know, um, stop, stop clogging my throat with your hair, love your sink drain, you know, things like that. Right. I'll remember that one. And, you know, I just want to add one, one thing contextually. So a lot of you may be listening and going, you know, I work, I come home, I have this, I have that, I have that. 
You're right. You do. And there's nothing more important than what I'm talking about. Nothing. Because it will be the difference between your children having a quality of life where they're not driven to succeed. So if you talk to your children about being, about doing, right? You did your chores, you didn't do your chores. You fed the dog, you didn't feed the dog. You got an A, you didn't get an A. You scored a goal, you didn't score a goal. What they think is that they're human doings and they're not, they're human beings. How many of you listening work and you feel like you always have to prove yourself and you know, you're, you're driven and no matter how successful you become, it's never enough. There's still all that self-doubt. You don't want to do that to your kids. And what causes that is only talking about achievements. Because now I got a beach ball called I'm not good enough because every time I don't get an A or I don't score a goal, that's what I'm going to tell myself whether you do or not. And now I need something to hold that I'm not good enough beach ball underwater. So if I get acknowledged for achievements, it's going to be what makes me good enough on my achievements. If I'm the oldest of 10 in a big family, I'm going to get acknowledged for taking care of the siblings. And then I'm going to have the belief what makes me good enough is taking care of people. And I'm going to become a caretaker or a nurse. But I'm going to, so I'm going to be the one in the family that takes care of everybody and I'm the one. So these behaviors are driven and they run our lives. So, you know, when anybody talks, says, talk about parenting, I'm like, because I don't want the next generation to be my clients. <laughs> right. Right. You well, know. well, you piqued my interest. I know the parenting thing is close to your heart, obviously, but you piqued my interest because I'm an inventor and a serial entrepreneur. I have founded nine companies in five industries. So uh, over 30 years. So I want to know what is it the belief, what's the belief for entrepreneurs that makes us, I always say it's a DNA thing because most normal people wouldn't do what entrepreneurs do. They wouldn't take the risk. So That's what right. is it about the belief? Is it the always doing something? Is it we got to prove our worth? What's up with that? Have you ever heard of Cozy Earth Bedding? It's your ultimate luxury escape. Cozy Earth sheets are temperature regulating and incredibly soft, and they even have a 10-year warranty. They're made from organic bamboo and silk, are hypoallergenic, and even antimicrobial. Cozy Earth sheets are so amazing, they've been on Oprah's favorite things list for five years in a row, and I have them on my bed right now. So if you're ready to elevate your sleep, Cozy Earth has a special offer for just for my listeners. Go to CozyEarth.com and use the code AskJulie for a 35% discount. That's C-O-Z-Y-Earth.com and use code AskJulie for a 35% discount. Upgrade your sleep with Cozy Earth bedding. I love them and so will you. First, I have to show you my book, my new book, <laughs> which holds up my computer. Hitting the wall. Eliminate the beliefs that sabotage your business and your life. So this is everything you just asked me is in this book. So entrepreneurs, interestingly enough, have 
some of the same beliefs that people who have jobs do, um, except they're, they're, there's some burning desire to be an entrepreneur. So the beliefs like mistakes and failures are bad. And if I make a mistake or fail, I'll be rejected or less sometimes um, problematic with entrepreneurs, but they still have them. So if you're doing something, Julie, because you love it and it, it just lights you up, knock yourself out. My experience of working with entrepreneurs for 30 years is most of them live in dread fear. So they create something, they invent something, and then they stop looking at how the world is going. You know, like I, one of my favorite companies, you know, is Apple because they created this thing called an iPhone. And the first one had an antenna that broke. And Johnny Ive said, yeah, that's not a good thing. So he made a phone without an antenna. And then the iPhone 6, I dropped it in the toilet and I had to pay $600 to get a new phone. A year later, my daughter dropped her iPhone in the toilet, took it out and made a phone call. So now it's waterproof. And then is that, you know, they just came out with the iPhone 15 and I hear it heating up and having problems, but they're not going, oh God, this is the worst thing. And I'm a loser and I'm stupid. And they're just going, okay, this is not good. We have to fix it. So that's what a true innovating entrepreneur is. My experience, most entrepreneurs, they have all the self-esteem beliefs um, uh, and pulling the trigger for the next business or pulling the trigger for the next product is generally a problem. They're scared. What if I fail? What if this? What if that? So serial entrepreneurs generally have different beliefs. Um, anytime anybody is a workaholic, so a survival strategy keeps you from having a choice. Most people don't have a choice. So I don't know, I, I'm sure most people listen and don't watch. But if you're watching, I'm going to hold up a box, a piece of paper with a box. And the box is the belief. So inside the belief, um, dogs are dangerous. Having a dog is not a possibility inside that box. There's a lot of possibilities outside the box. Having a dog, choosing the kind of dog you want. So when you get rid of your box, your beliefs, then you can choose from all the possibilities. So with workaholics, if you're driven, if you can't stop, if you're the client who called me and said, I'm worth $10 million, I'm on the cover of business publications, I don't know my kids, my second wife's ready to divorce me, when is it gonna be enough? That's the belief, what makes me good enough or what makes me important are my achievements. If you love doing it 
and you're spending time with your kids and you're spending time with your significant other and you have hobbies and you have a life and you're taking care of your body and you just love what you do, that's healthy. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. For me, the catalyst for me to start my first company at 25 and we did 16 million in, 19, in the 1980s in the first year was, it, I was part of that group and you were too, we're about the same age, where we were part of the quotas. I was, they were, the big companies were, had a quota of females. We, they needed to hire a certain number of females in their recruiting they just, that was a movement that was happening. I graduated from college in 81. So I went to work for a huge company, multi-billion dollar company. I was the only girl in my whole region. There were a bunch of guys and I was the only girl. But what I learned pretty quickly was that I was more of an entrepreneurial personality because I do something and be really successful at it within that job. But if I didn't do it the way they thought I needed to do it, even though my numbers were good, they they were having a problem with it. And I'm saying, that just doesn't make any sense. I was a sales rep selling hospital supplies. And I had a manager, Shelly, that said to me, yeah, your numbers are great. Your sales are amazing. Everybody loves you. But your trunk isn't organized properly. And I thought, buddy, what the heck? Who cares? how my trunk is organized. And that was the catalyst really that I thought, okay, there's got to be more to life than having to deal with this nonsense. So I started my first company at 25. And throughout nine companies, what I've learned is, number one, if it's fun, if it's interesting, if I want to do more, go with it. But number two, I trust the people that I need to show up and the circumstances to show up when I need them. And they always do. Oh, and it's interesting. It's been so, <laughs> it's been so prevalent in my life, not just my business life, but my regular life. I met my husband standing behind him in the Kansas City airport. That's how I got to Alabama. And I just trust that the people I need to show up always show up when they are supposed to show up and they do. So it's, it's interesting. It's all belief. Yeah. Yeah. Great beliefs. And uh, God, I love that. I just like smack right before you had a client who was telling me about school and it's for her kids and it's exactly the same. And, you know, then we're talking about her company and it's like, well, you did this you know, all your numbers are great. This is great. That's great. But she was so with the school thing. One of the teachers said that the um, uh, fluorescent lights were really bad for the kids. So there was a time during the day where she would shut them and she brought in lamps to school. And the um, vice principal came in and said, no, everything has to look the same. You know, we're, we're a public school, we're in Denver, and it has to, and it's not about what makes sense or what's good for the kids or what it's the rules. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, interesting. And, and good for you for being somebody who just wasn't going to play that game. 
Well, but I've had family and friends look at me like I'm nuts when I'm starting on a new journey. They'll say, why are you doing that? I'd say, well, just sounds like fun. Fun? How could that be fun? And that's why I think there's a DNA component because, and actually Carnegie Mellon did a study on that. I remember reading about it, I don't know, maybe 15 years ago. And there was an article in Forbes is how I found out about it. And Dylan... Um, Lauren, Ralph Lauren's daughter, who has the Dylan's candy bar, was on the cover. And the the um, caption on the cover was, is it nature or nurture? And Carnegie Mellon did a study and found that most entrepreneurs are, are less risk averse than most people who are not entrepreneurs. And that made sense to me. I thought that was fascinating. So I refer to that. And um I just think I'm, it's interesting. I, yeah, I'm I'm a nature girl. I mean, I'm sorry, I'm a nurture girl. <laughs> so you come from a family of entrepreneurs? No, I was, I was the least likely entrepreneur. I have no interest in being an entrepreneur. I never wanted to run a business for five minutes. I still don't. I am only doing this because my husband died and left me with the business. I am a people person. I once took a, um, I was just talking to my friend Joyce uh, many, many years ago. She did this, she was in career counseling and she had this deck of cards and they had all these different words, which she just told me, which is so cool. People, data, things, and ideas. I think she gave us 12 cards. We had to pick these words that we related to. I had 12 yellow cards, people. She said I was the only one that she had ever done that with that picked. And my mother was a people person. So I think you come into this world and you're either encouraged to take risks or you're not. You either... Do what your parents wanted you to do or not that, the opposite. So I don't know. Do you have DNA? Yeah. Bruce Lipton says our beliefs, you know, turn on our genes. So we all have, I just read an article also, we all have something, some kind of gene in our body, but very few people do that. So I, I don't know the answer. Mm-hmm. And in my world, it's useful. It's a useful distinction to look at. See, if it's my DNA, I can't do anything about it. If it's beliefs, I can do something about it. Well, I think even with DNA, you got beliefs that go with that as well. So it's always yeah. it always comes down to the belief. Yeah. In my mind. And it could be. You're absolutely right. I mean, my daughters came in very different. Well, I see it all the time in working with people as a medical intuitive and and I do energetic healings with people all over the world and people that have some kind of a genetic predisposition to disease and they just think, oh, I'm screwed. I'm just going to have it because everybody in my family has it. And every doctor that you go to wants family history. What it, what ailments did your dad have? Well, how about your mom? When did they die? Did they have, you know, heart attacks, diabetes, cancer? What kind? All that kind of stuff, which just puts us into that belief mode of, oh, I'm really out of luck because my parents both had cancer. And so I'm 
it's inevitable that I'm going to get it, which is total nonsense. And it's the belief and it's, but it's fostered by lots of different segments, not just the medical industry, but certainly I think just in the, in the zeitgeist of our culture today, which brings me to can beliefs create illness in our lives? Mm. My experience is yes. I agree. Um, I have worked with quite a few clients who had the belief the way to get attention is to get sick. And they really got sick. It wasn't like making believe my throat hurts. Um, If I'm sick, I don't have to do anything. Every time they did something, they were criticized and, you know, torn down. And when they were sick, it was the only time they didn't have to do anything. Um, God, I forgot about that. I had one client who worked on, lived on a farm, and they were just constantly having to work as a young child, except when they got sick. And he had the belief, if I get sick, I don't have to do anything. Yeah. So, you know, Louise Hay, obviously, you know, talks about how your illnesses are correlated um, with your beliefs. Um, Yeah. Um, We did a study with, um, well, we did a couple. We did one with stress, and we produced statistically significant behavior change over CBT and Tony Robbins. we um, we help people just way, way lower and in some cases get rid of stress. Um, we did a criminal study, which was fascinating because the beliefs that they had made them do the things that they did. And um, there was one young man, these were incarcerated men who were getting out Um, and one of them was a wife beater and he had the belief if you do something wrong, you deserve to be punished. And the way to be punished is to beat. It's what he saw when he was a kid. He said it never occurred to him to not beat his girlfriend if she did something wrong. It's what you do. And when he got rid of that belief, he didn't beat women anymore. Wow. And um, yeah, it was quite, quite amazing. I have a couple of uh, things that come to mind along those lines with creating illness. I have a client who's one of 10 children, and I would say she's a professional invalid. There's always something wrong with her. There's always a reason why she can't do things. There's always a reason why her family needs to dote on her. And what I was getting when I was working with her was I said, your mom with 10 kids, I can't even imagine how crazy she was, God bless her, without trying to take care of all those kids. And they were in short order. She had a, she had a bunch of them in a short amount of time. And I said, how did it feel when you were sick? What did, how did your mom treat you? And she said, oh, she would come lay in bed with me and she would read me books and things like that and fix you. Did she fix you special food and things like that? And she said, yeah. And I said, did it ever occur to you that that's where this comes from? And she said, no, I never thought about it. 
So that was interesting. Secondly, I have another friend who recently died in the past six months of prostate cancer that had metastasized. Thank you. 30 years ago, Shelley, he told me his number one fear in life was getting prostate cancer. And when he was diagnosed, I said to him, you know, 30 years ago, you told me that that was your number one fear. And he said, I don't remember that. And I said, yeah. And I replayed the conversation for him. Basically, I reminded him where the conversation happened. And he said, oh, my God, I never thought about it. And I said, so I'll bet that there was a tape playing in the back of his mind all those years going, oh, my God, I have to do whatever I can do so that I don't get prostate cancer. And it goes back to our thoughts create our reality, which ties in with your belief theories, I would imagine, as well. Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah. So my husband was married to a Broadway actress named Virginia Vestoff, and she was in 1776 and whatever. Um, And both of her parents, and she was an angel, I loved her. Um, Both of her parents died at 40. Wow. And she believed that she would be dead at 40. And this was unfortunately, makes me cry, before we had the process. And she got cancer at 39, and they would radiate her, and she would respond. And I remember the doctor saying to us, she responds so well, it's it's not going to be an issue. It's gone, eradicated. And then she would get, so she had breast cancer and then in her right breast, and then she would get it in her left breast, and they would radiate her, and she would be fine. And then she would get cancer someplace else. And I remember, I'll never forget, um, walking in and she was like purple. And I don't remember if it was chemo at that point. I think it was probably chemo. And she was dead at 40. Wow. Now, that doesn't mean for everybody listening, I am not a secret girl. I'm, I'm not like your thoughts manifest. And, you know, I do believe there is something to that and something that we need to be aware of that we do create that we create our beliefs and our beliefs create our lives. Right. And what I do with people at the end of the, of every session is I say, where did that belief or those beliefs that you eliminated in this session come from? They say, I made them up. Notice, because I've never said to anybody, is your life consistent with your beliefs? And they said, no. If you believe life is hard, you're going to have a hard life. If Mm -hmm. you believe something is hot, you're not going to touch it. Our beliefs are very powerful, right? When we started this, Julie, 33 years ago, I would say to people, you know, I work on people's beliefs and they'd say, beliefs you mean like a like religious beliefs nobody knew what i was talking about today everybody's talking about beliefs and what upsets me is there's a lot of people telling you to write it on a piece of paper and tear it up and stand in front of a mirror and do affirmations and all this other nonsense that's not how you get rid of beliefs now can some people miraculously do that, I'm sure. 
but that's not a try way to get rid of. The only person who has to stand in front of a mirror saying, I'm good enough, I'm good enough, I'm good enough, is somebody who believes they're not. Because if you didn't believe that, you wouldn't be standing in front of the mirror. So it's, it's like affirming your beliefs. Now people know how powerful our beliefs are. So if you create your beliefs and your beliefs create your life, what does that make you? And people have this profound experience that you come into this little, this world as a little ball of consciousness. And before you create any distinctions about yourself, life, or people, none exist. And once you create a distinction, you bring it into existence by creating it. So if you believe I'm worthless and I'm, I, I don't deserve to live, and I had a client who had a lot of illness, and her mother used to say to her all the time, I'm sorry you were born. Oh, so she had the belief, I don't deserve to live. I don't deserve to be here. I don't deserve. And so she was sick a lot. It's like, well, that didn't see that coming, right? Yeah. Powerful beliefs. I I think we're all very powerful creators, obviously, and we create and our beliefs are part of that equation. My dear friend, Dr. Christiane Northrup, the women's health expert, I was with her recently for a girls weekend, and she said that in medical school at Dartmouth, no less, the first day of medical school, they talked about how powerful beliefs are in illness. And they used the, they referred to like voodoo healing. And they said, how can people die when a voodoo, whatever they call them, voodoo practitioner says, you're going to die and you're going to die in the next hour. And they died. And she said in the first day of medical school, they talked about that. Wow. Which really yeah. surprised me because she was in me medical too. school, you know, probably in the 70s. And I thought that was pretty, you know, forward thinking on their part for that Ivy League school there at Dartmouth. Back to you said the only reason that you don't really like the entrepreneur thing and the only reason that you do this is because your husband passed and you're, you're continuing on with the company. There's got to be more to the story there. Miss Shelley, as far as you <laughs> wanting to, not even wanting to, you're being led to help people. The stuff that you teach is so profound. And before we got started in our conversation, I was telling her, I am one of her biggest fans that was a secret fan for a long time. She, We hadn't met before, but I recommend your stuff all the time because it really resonates with me. What is it about this work that leads you to continue to do it. Are you the daughter of a psychologist or a religious leader or a caregiver? Oh, or what? No. So I'll, I'll tell you a great story. And by the way, I didn't finish my sentence before because we're just like so deliciously connected. But so if you create your beliefs and your beliefs create your life, who you really are is the creator of your life. Right. You are God in your universe. I agree. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I had many fun. I had a mother who was an angel and my mother only wanted me to be happy and have fun. 
So I have lots of friends all over the world and all over the country, and I'm a pickleball fanatic. I get up every morning and I play pickleball and then I play later in the, so my life's about fun, right? And I had fun jobs. I was in the travel business and I went all over the, I ran a wholesale travel company and I was all over the world. And I just had, I worked for the theater guild. I had all these fun jobs. Then I met my husband. I was volunteering at EST and it was a personal growth workshop. And he was there and we met and this great story, but for another day, he was not, I didn't think he was going to be the one. And we got together and got married and he was what he called on the spiritual intellectual journey to discover why people knew what to do and didn't do it. So we all know we should exercise and eat well, and most of us don't why we know we should wear a seatbelt and people don't, why we should know going into a relationship knowing this is a bad idea and we go in anyway. Why is that? It's crazy. And he was looking at his own life. Things were supposed to turn out. Everything was going to turn out and then it didn't. So he was on a plane going to California and he downloads this, he says downloads, he created this process and he's writing and writing. And at the end of the trip, he creates the process. He does it on these people that he was going to pitch for the state of California, who's doing this thing on self-esteem and he gets the contract and he comes home and he says, I have to show you what I created. And he sits down with a friend of ours and he says, where's a place that you're stuck? And she says, well, I, I really want to meet a man and I really want to get married again. She said, but I just keep not meeting people. And if I do, they're the wrong people. He says, well, what do you think you believe? And through the steps, he gets her to see. All of a sudden she goes, men are. And, you know, when you say to women, finish the sentence, men are, men are jerks. Men can't be trusted. Uh, oh, she said, marriage is suffocating and you have to lose yourself when you get married. So she had all these beliefs. He picks one belief and he eliminates it with her. And Julie, every time I tell the story, my, my body has this, and I'm not one of those people who feels things and like some of my clients, I'm not that person, but my whole body remembers the moment where I sat there and it was like spirit almost knocked me off my chair. And I went, that's why I'm on the planet. Mm -hmm. I am here to do that. And I've been doing it ever since for almost 35 years. And you put me in front of a room of people. I don't care if it's a thousand, 10,000, I'll talk. You put me in front of a workshop. I don't need a piece of paper. I'll lead it run a business, it's just not my jam. It's just not what lights my my being. You just keep putting people in front of me and I'm like, <laughs> you know, I listen to people talk sometimes and I go, oh my God, just give me them, just give me them. You know, people suffer endlessly and needlessly. So um, my husband was not good with money. He was a genius. He was the most non-judgment. When my husband died, Julie, and I tell this story 
because I want everybody, all the women entrepreneurs, all the women corporate muckamucks, I want you to all listen to me. What you do interests people, maybe. Who you are inspires them. Mm-hmm. When you die, nobody's going to talk about your GPA, where your kid went to school, or where you went to school, or how many awards you won. When my husband died, people said he was the most loving person they ever met. He was present. Two people said, I knew him 40 years, and I never heard him say a bad word about anybody. That's who he was. But he wasn't good with money. So when he died, we had all these projects and he's going to change this and that and we gave money here and there and, you know. So I was not in a position to hire someone to run my business, nor was there somebody showing up to do that. So I took it on. And I, it's going to be eight years, November 11th. <laughs> so... You know, I keep putting it out every once in a while. I'll say that on a podcast, hoping somebody will call me and say, I'll run your business. <laughs> oh, my gosh. All right. Let's change. Thank you for that. Let's change directions yeah. for a minute. And then I want you to go into describing what you do, what the work is that you do to help people change their beliefs. But one last question before we get to that. Do ne- negative beliefs ever go away or do we just tamp them down 100 percent gone and never comes back okay and that's what differentiates you and your methods in my book to everybody else that's out there because yes, everybody ma'am. else that i hear talk about this says oh it's just there and you just you you just don't pay attention to it and then you choose a better feeling belief. And I'm saying you cut, all beliefs have a frequency. All thoughts have a frequency. They come in from the ethers and you change the channel, right? Yeah. So I was working this morning with a, I was on this guy's podcast and let's see how many is it now? I think three podcasters that I did their podcast became clients. (laughs) so at least um so this morning i had one of the podcasters and he gets rid of a belief now this guy's done personal growth work up the yin yang Mm -hmm. and the belief i'm not good enough goes away and i have people say the belief out loud and when you say a belief that you have it either doesn't feel good like there's one belief that will almost always make the person cry if they have it. But it doesn't feel good when you say it. When the belief goes away, it feels like, in fact, I will say to people, say this belief, and they go like this. Like, oh, please don't make me say that. And, you know, I'm not lovable. I'm not worth loving. That's the one. And So I say, don't say it. It's okay. You don't have to say it. I just wanted you to experience to see what it felt like. 
we get rid of the belief and I say, say, I'm not worth loving. And they go, I'm not worth loving. And the guy this morning said to me, it's like a, it's like a Jedi mind trick because the beliefs that we eliminated last week are gone. Mm-hmm. I said, that's right. He goes, not only are they gone, and this is the worst part of my marketing, people forget they ever had them. <laughs> I, once called, I once called a woman and I said, um, she's actually a friend of mine, and, and she was frigid and she had sexual problems because she was molested by her grandfather. And I said to her, by the way, how's your sex life? And she said what so many clients have said to me over the years, fine, like, why would you ask that? And then I read her her beliefs and she was like, did I say that? I said, yeah. you did. Interesting. How do you keep yourself level and grounded when, you, when you're working with all these people around the world who have all these beliefs? that in most cases are negative and they're causing problems in their lives. What do you do for Shelly? And what can we learn from you to help us do that in our own lives? Well, unfortunately, I'm not going to give you the answer that you want, which is I sage or I do blah, 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 or then that. There is something that I do, but the re I don't, Julie, I don't know why If I'm not in a session and you tell me a story, I will cry. I will be devastated. I will like, oh God, I can't watch the news because children are suffering. I can't bear it. But when I'm in a session, because I know I'm going to produce a result, I know the person is going to be better than when they came in. And I don't know that's why I said, because I don't know that that's true. I just don't, I don't take it in. It doesn't do any, it just, I'm fine. Now, one of the things that I do, and I don't know if I would do it if I did this work or not, is I practice gratitude. (laughs) I send a every, I have a mindfulness deck I have like six of them. And every morning I send my daughters a mindfulness card. And one of them I loved. One of them said, if you're depressed, you're in the past. If you're anxious, you're in the future. If you're at peace, you're in the present. And it's just a reminder to be in the present moment. Yeah, you I know, agree. Um, I agree. I don't take when I and I work with I probably talk to 3000 people a year between my show and between private clients. And I don't carry that stuff either. And in in effect, I don't remember most of it. I can go back and I can get that memory, but it ends up being really advantageous cuz I can't I can't divulge anything cuz I just don't remember. I'll remember it. And that works good. All right. So tell us about the Lefko method. Tell us what you can that will give people an idea about the work that you do and how this helps so many people. So how's this? I'm going to give you access, your listeners access 
to eliminate a belief for free. Perfect. Um, and it's called eliminatebeliefs.com. Um, and that way you can see what I do because telling you is not, I mean, I could tell you, I could walk you through the process, but if we had more time, I would actually walk you through the process. Give us a, give us a synopsis, a quick, just synopsis of, okay. So let's assume you have, I'll give you a couple of examples. So let's assume your issue is, um, You keep picking the wrong men and they in some way do something that's out integrity. Either they cheat on you or they bezel or steal from you or they lie about something. And um, what I would do is I would say, what do you think you believe? They may not know, in which case, you know, after 30 years, you know, <laughs> you just know. So I could tell you. So let's assume they have the belief men can't be trusted. And I say, well, you weren't born with that belief. Where did you discover that? How do you know that's true? And they say, well, when I was a kid, my father cheated on my mother. And my mother used to cry all the time. And she would say, oh, God, men are the worst and blah, 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 blah. So I say, well, wouldn't that make sense that any child, and that's the thing, there's a lot of methods, which I'm not going to name, but there are a lot of methods which tell you, you shouldn't believe what you believe. You're wrong to believe that. It's illogical to believe that. We do the opposite. It made total sense to conclude what you did. If I was there, I'd have the same belief. Having said that, we're going to play a game. And the game is called Valid Interpretations. And we're going to make believe that we're watching a video of your childhood and we see your father cheating on your mother and, you know, and her saying men are terrible. And one interpretation is men can't be trusted. What's another way of interpreting the the, uh, events that you couldn't see as a child that you could see now. And the first one is, my father can't be trusted. It doesn't mean no man can be trusted. Is that a valid interpretation? Yes. What's another? Men with no integrity can't be trusted. You could put my husband in bed with the most beautiful naked woman on the planet. He wouldn't touch her. My husband would not would not cheat the IRS if he could get away with it. It's who he was. So one interpretation is men with no integrity can't be trusted. Men with integrity can. Let's make another distinction. Unconscious men can't be trusted. Conscious, awake men, maybe it's different. Your mother picked men who couldn't be trusted. But that doesn't mean Auntie Shelley did. So if there are other valid interpretations, and so here's where we're loosening it up, is what you said the truth 
or just one interpretation. It's just one interpretation. Now, doesn't it seem like, as a child, you saw men can't be trusted? And she said, I did see that. And no matter what the belief is, no matter how rich, how smart, how accomplished, how anything, everybody says pretty much yes. Now, sometimes they say I felt it, but I'll get them to see they saw it. Then I say, did you ever see men can't be trusted? Now, you can't see men because men is three billion. (laughs) Right. So you can't see men can't be trusted. What did, so, so I never saw that. What did you see? I saw my father cheat on my mother and her say men are horrible, terrible men. And okay. And one interpretation about your mother is she thought that it doesn't mean it's true. Maybe her father cheated, and that's why she had the belief. So now, once they get, I never saw the belief in the world, like Santa Claus, it's gone. But there's one more step. All right, I'm going to go. Well, I'm going to go all the way with you, Jules. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) Because we're definitely, you know, simpatico here. So... There are consequences in life. Your father cheats on your mother. Maybe they get divorced. They're miserable. You conclude things. Events have consequences. But then the next question I ask is, what does it really mean that your father cheated on your mother and your mother spoke badly about men? Now, Everybody listening, I want you to take a breath (laughs) because what I'm going to say is going to like, your brain is going to, some of you know this, most of you, your brains will explode. So I'm going to make a statement and then I'm going to explain it. Events have no inherent meaning. We don't know anything for sure because something happens. Meaning is in your mind. It's not in events. That's not to say it doesn't. So my husband died. He was the most wonderful human being on the planet. I was devastated. But that doesn't mean I'll never be happy again. I'll never love again. I'll never have sex again. I'm going to starve to death because I don't know how to run a business. Well, couple of meanings that I actually came up with. So the fact that he died has no meaning. So it's not that it doesn't matter. It's not that it's, there weren't consequences. It's not that I don't miss him, but we, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't, we don't know anything. 
So when I ask the client, what does it really mean that you were incested? That's horrible. I wish every, with all my heart and soul that didn't happen to you. But it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean you're damaged goods. It doesn't mean you're worthless. It doesn't mean you're powerless. It doesn't mean men have all the power. Now, we have to get rid of all those beliefs because the meaning that you give events come from your beliefs, mostly, not always, mostly. If you believe dogs are dangerous, dog comes in, the meaning you give it is the dog's going to hurt me and you feel fear. So I'm going to teach you something in a minute since I'm giving you this. I'll teach you how to use it. So then the end of the session, I say, what does it really mean that your father cheated on your mother? And the answer is nothing. And when sexual abuse survivors say that, they sob. They're free. It doesn't mean anything. I don't have to define the rest of my life by something that happened to me 20 years ago. It has no meaning. So once they get the fact that the man cheated has no meaning, I say to them, doesn't it seem like the events made you feel? Because some people say, but I feel it. Doesn't it seem like the events made you feel like men can't be trusted? Can events that have no meaning make you feel anything? Nope. So if you're walking down the street and a man walks past you and it has no meaning, what are you going to feel if it has no meaning? Nothing. Nothing. Yeah. If you give it the meaning he's dangerous, what are you going to feel? Yeah, scared. If you give it the meaning he'll protect me, what will you feel? Right. That's still coming from a place of fear. No, no. If you give it the meaning, a man walks past you and you give it the meaning, he will protect me. What are you going to feel? Protected. Right. Safe. If you give it the meaning he's dangerous, you'll feel fear. If you give it no meaning, you won't feel anything. Mm -hmm. So events that have no meaning cannot make you feel anything. Mm -hmm. So what made you feel, I asked her, that men can't be trusted the meaning she gave the events. So now you close your eyes and I say, imagine being a kid going, oh, men with no integrity can't be trusted. Unconscious man can't. When I grow up, I'm going to meet a man who has integrity. There's millions of them. Uncle Morty's like that. If you had given the same events different meaning, would you have ever have had that feeling? Nope. Nope. And if you didn't then, would you today? Nope. And that's it. Yeah. Yeah. I I think you're I think you're brilliant. I think your methodology is brilliant. I want everybody to learn more about you. How can they find out more about you and the work that you do? So go to eliminatebeliefs.com and pick one of the beliefs and eliminate it. And then there's a program called Natural Confidence that if you are so moved to do, it's 19 self-esteem beliefs but it's only self-esteem beliefs. It's not other beliefs. Um, You can do that or you can go to lefcoinstitute.com and it's L-E-F as in Frank, K-O-E, institute.com. And um, you can uh, work with me if you want to do that. Um, But I want to give you 
something to take away. My husband did a TEDx talk called How to Stop Suffering. And it teaches, it not teaches you, but it explains this process that I'm going to teach you. Anytime you have a negative emotion, and when people go, what do you mean negative emotion? An emotion that you don't want. I don't want to feel sad, depressed, angry. I, I, I'm not interested. If you are, then don't do this. But if you want to get rid of those kinds of emotions, you know, spiritual people tell me that it's fine and blah, 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 which is fine. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just not how I want to live. So when you've had enough of the quote unquote negative emotion, stop and ask yourself, what just happened right before I got angry or sad? What meaning did I give it? And underneath anger is powerlessness. Underneath fear is a real or imagined threat to your survival. No matter what anybody tells you, what I just said was true. Trust me. <laughs> I agree with you. I agree with you. All, all kinds of shit about that. No, all, all <laughs> negative emotions are all based in fear, always. And then we go into fight or flight and we lose yeah, but clarity. But that's the thing. They're not all based in fear. Pa- anger is powerlessness. It's mm-hmm. not fear. If you could do something about it, if you could change the situation, you would change it. You wouldn't get angry. We get angry because we feel powerless. Fear comes from a real or imagined threat to your survival. Correct. Good. But most so, of us have a bunch of irrational fears that help with our, when we combine those with our beliefs and we're running our lives that way and we're in fight or flight over being late for a meeting and it's craziness. So yes, thank ma'am. you for taking the time to be with us today. I, as you know, I'm a huge fan and thank really you. appreciate you imparting all this wisdom on Thank everybody you. that's listening and everybody go to Shelly's website, take her tests, do whatever you need to do because following her is going to improve your life. I promise, oh, promise, yeah. promise. So Thank sending you, you all lots of love. Thank you for the work that you do. You bet. Sending you all lots of love from Sweet Home Alabama mwah, and from California too, where Shelly is and we'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to follow Julie on Instagram and YouTube at Ask Julie Ryan and like her on Facebook at Ask Julie Ryan. To schedule an appointment or submit a question, please visit AskJulieRyan.com. This show is for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be medical, psychological, financial, or legal advice. Please contact a licensed professional. The Ask Julie Ryan Show, Julie Ryan and all parties involved in producing, recording, and distributing it assume no responsibility for listeners' actions based on any information heard on this or any Ask Julie Ryan shows or podcasts.